0: want people to understand like dominoes don't fall into place you have to align those dominoes
1: today I have a surprise guest surprise to you for sure he's come all the way from Atlanta Georgia he has his own podcast he's the boss Uncaged. essay (laughs) <laughs> so thank you for being on the show this
0: morning. Well, I, I definitely appreciate you having us here, man.
1: And I really want to thank your, your wife and your son, too, Koi over there, who's named after the fish, the Koi. And this is your first time coming to Japan.
0: Yeah, it's the first time well overdue. Wow.
1: And you've had an interest and a fascination for, for Japan for a long time, obviously.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh. It's one of those things when you kind of grow up um, in Brooklyn, New York, you kind of see kung-fu movies but then at the same time you start to like really dive into the culture and then you start learning about the rising sun and it was just kind of like such a phenomenal culture and standpoint that most of the the world around us don't have those viewpoints. Mm. So
1: So you grew up in New York? Yep. How old were you when you first left? Uh,
0: I was a teenager I was in high school almost a senior in high school. Had you traveled much while you were living there? Um, outside of New York, I, I was born in Trinidad, so okay. I traveled from the islands to Brooklyn. But but you were yeah, a, yeah, a baby, right? Yeah, baby, when you right. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think most New Yorkers, including myself at the time, we don't think about the world outside. If that makes sense, we kind of we live in our borough. I hear you. And it's like you live in Queens; that's far.
1: <laughs> so, so your mom's from Trinidad and your father? Yeah, both of them, okay. and myself as well.
0: All right, It's <laughs> <Yeah, so. laughs> right, right there.
1: Yeah. And you're the only child. Correct. Okay. Correct. So what kind of child were you when you were growing up? Were you more physical or were you more academic?
0: Um, I would say I was a hybrid. I was kind of like, I always I had like a, a little bit of that split personality thing. Like one side of me would like to talk to myself and kind of come up with creativity. Mm-hmm. And the other side would like to, to climb fire escapes and jump and run from trains and all this other stuff. So it was kind of like a, like t- I am today. It's a hybrid of, of both personalities, 50, right. 50% each one.
1: What about your sports? Did you like any kind of sport? In New
0: York, uh, football. I used to play street football, which is kind okay. of a little bit different than organized football. So right. cars were in play. Right. <laughs> but it was tag, right? You guys played tag, obviously. I uh, played tag, but we, we played tackle football in the streets. Oh, so no, come on. Yeah. Really? I mean, literally, cars were. When I say cars were in play, like. Yeah, right. That means when we, you we, we them. run over a car, you. You're still playing football. You can run over a hood of a car and get a touchdown. So. Wow. so it was like where mom and dad stayed together the whole time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And until, uh-huh. like, we, we moved down to Atlanta. So, like, my dad moved down to Atlanta first. Uh-huh. And then my mom came down, dragged me kicking and screaming.
1: How old were you when that happened?
0: I was, like, 16, 17, okay. around mm-hmm. there. I was, like, going into senior in high school. So it was, like, mm-hmm. later on in my, in my high school career, at least. Did you go there for work? Um, I'm not sure why he went, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, you know, when, when you kind of look back as, as a younger kid and trying to remember, did your parents have issues? Did they, like, were somebody leaving for work? But again, you're a kid, so they really don't tell you they all the you nuances. That, right. Yeah, so Those I mean, situations. I kind of got some details when I got older, and it was definitely a little bit on the disappointing side, but, you know, they're together now, so.
1: Oh, they're back together?
0: Yeah, they've been together since we came back mm-hmm. to Atlanta. Okay. So, all
1: right. I think you said when you came to Atlanta, that's when they... Until no, then.
0: my dad came to Atlanta first, and we stayed in Brooklyn for a, a period of time, and then my mom moved back down to Atlanta with my dad, okay. and they've been together ever since.
1: So. All right, all right. So you're close with both of them.
0: Um, th- 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 this highs and lows, right? I mean, like my mom, I think we're definitely close, but I, I'm always trying to motivate and push her to to get out of her her safe zone, right. and so I'm the complete opposite. Like I'm ready to jump out of a plane right now, and she's kind of like the plane may crash while taking off. So in that sense, we're completely opposites.
1: What about your dad?
0: My dad, I mean, unfortunately, he has onset Alzheimer's. Oh. He had a stroke. Sorry, he survived cancer. So, like I always say, like he's he's kind of a weird individual in the sense that he's been through all these different things throughout life, but he's still alive, <laughs> still going strong. So right. it's just you know, side effect of life.
1: Okay. So when you were in school, what were the subjects you were most interested in?
0: Uh, actually, I wanted to be a marine biologist. So what I made did
1: you decide that?
0: just the water I mean Japan right think about it okay so I wanted to be in the ocean I wanted to be in the water I wanted to dive I wanted to kind of you know I, but I like in New
1: York you grew up in New York yeah, yeah you try on. swimming in the Hudson yeah, I'm I'm you're, you not, doing that. The you're yeah, not doing no. that so no. I'm just saying yeah. where'd that drive come from now I can understand mm-hmm. if you lived in Miami or something like that mm-hmm. or back home you know yeah. where you grew up.
0: well I mean I went to a high school that was um, a marine-based high school it okay. was on the beach on Manhattan Beach so like our first week of school in high school, ninth grade, we had an opportunity to go out on a boat and get sea stars and go fishing and all that right away. So it just kind of added on to, to my love for the water.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So you, you carried on that love until when? High school? or
0: I still love it to the day.
1: All right. Yeah. But then did you get a degree in that? Did you go study that in college?
0: No. What so so college? I, I kind of grew up with, with a can of paint and markers in my hand. That, that's when I really found my creative outlet. So oh, graffiti. When did this happen? It was high school. It was all in New York.
1: Okay. So, in high school, you're so let's say you're around 15 or something when it started.
0: It actually started in, um, if I remember correctly, I was in middle school. Okay. So, middle school, you know, back in New York, it's kind of like here traveling the, tra- the train at a young age, it just kind of goes with, with being in that, that place. So, I had a couple friends that were into graffiti, and you know, I was like, okay, I love this because it was my creative. I was drawing in books before, but now I had the opportunity to kind of draw and you know, break the law, but at the same time, express myself. Right, right.
1: So, so you did that? Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things that happened while you did that? Well, um, a lot well, if of If you can happened. explain this so much. So <laughs> tell me. Tell me. Some of the things that come up in your mind mm. that, that made it the experience that you'd like to share.
0: Um, well, I, I'm an open book, right? So, this definitely it's illegal, first of all, in New York versus like some other European countries where you can kind of take a can of paint and paint a wall. So, I mean, obviously I got arrested a couple times for, for doing graffiti, but it, it became part of who I was. It was just kind of like, what I do now Stems from graffiti. If that makes sense, like the marketing, the strategy, the the more people that see your content, the bigger and brighter you get. Same exact philosophy. As
1: Take me through the incident when you got caught, hmm.
0: the first time. Oh, um, the first time was funny actually, because we was I was like maybe, the train station near my house, and it was three of us, and we were actually on the tracks, and we heard keys jingling, and we turned around before we knew it. The first thing I remember seeing was this this badge that said hill, and he was as big as a hill. He bought a little bit of mountain, and he literally reached down and grabbed two of us and pulled us up on the platform. And I was like, that was definitely interesting. I mean, mind you, I was about my son's size at okay. the time. And you
1: about you his age or younger. Yeah, okay. I'm a little bit younger than he was. Okay.
0: So, so it was just, it was just it was hilarious at the time because you know obviously I was underage, so they, they couldn't really. Lock well, did you me didn't up. start.
1: You didn't feel. You didn't think it was funny when he grabbed you. You probably um, scared to
0: death. Uh, for us, growing up in that environment, it, it, I mean, people get arrested all the time. Well, so this is your first time. Yeah, but I mean, I've seen other people get arrested. So <laughs> I mean, living in New York, getting arrested is kind of like eh. no. You got mm-hmm. your badge, yeah. Kind yeah, of it just comes comes with the territory.
1: Right. All right. So what happened? He he picked you up. He get you. Oh there yeah, like
0: hemmed us up, handcuffed us, threw us in the back of the truck, uh, back of the actual um the vehicle. It wasn't a truck. It was an actual car. And back then, I was uber flexible, so I was like, we was thinking about okay. Not thinking 2020 in hindsight, like, like an intelligent person, we was like, okay, we're gonna break free. This is what we're gonna do, <laughs> right? He,
1: hand- wait, he handcuffed you.
0: It was three of us, had all three of us handcuffed in the, in the back of the trunk. Yeah. But did
1: he have your hands behind your back?
0: Correct. So, right, so going so. back to being uber flexible, right, okay. I had the opportunity to, in the car, wiggle my hands behind and bring them to the front. <laughs> but that, that, just to say that, that was a mistake. All
1: right, but go on, go on, let's go
0: on. I wanna hear this story. So then, um, so I had my, my hands in the front and they had me near the door, and I guess one of the cops saw that my hands were in the front versus the back, opened up the door and he was like, you're trying to make us look stupid, and then he re-handcuffed me from behind and made it tighter so I couldn't move it forward. So it was definitely interesting. We ended up going to the, the police station inside the train station you know, they didn't take our fingerprints or anything like that, they pretty much called our parents and we pretty much had to sit there and wait. So we had a conversation with the cops. I mean, literally, we were sitting down, one person was talking about he wanted to be a rapper, uh, other person was talking about what he wanted to do and we was just having this banter back and forth. It's kind of like a podcast if you think about it. Okay, all right. With, in the police station. And nobody's,
1: none of the three of you were upset or anything, or concerned, or nobody well, no started
0: crying? No, no, no. Okay. Well, not that time. I've seen some people cry before when they got right, arrested. Right, of course, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that time, no. I mean, one person we was with, I mean, He's been arrested dozens of times. The okay. other person, I think, he got arrested once or twice. So that was my right. first time. So it was kind of a collective situation to where we know we were underage. So right. at that age, you kind of know the laws a little bit. But they bit. couldn't
1: fingerprint you or anything like that. No mugshots, no. nothing. No. It's not on your record. No. Wait, what age do you have to be now before they do it? I think they've 18. changed all that.
0: I don't know if they changed it, but I know it was 18, and we weren't 18. No. It's, so.
1: Okay, right. Yeah. Wow. So your parents? Weren't, you weren't worried about what your parents would
0: say, I think. Um. It's, it's funny because, you know, as a teenager, and I have a teenager right now, it, it's kind of like that, that nuance of the, the chemical imbalance to where that fear is not represented right now. It's just kind of like, this is the way I think, this is the way I process, and who cares? Right. And that, that's just kind of the mentality. You but felt that
1: way about your parents, too? You didn't have any fear that they uh, hear about it, so they hear about it?
0: I would say look at it from the standpoint of they're not going to kill me.
1: Right, But sometimes, see, my generation is a little bit different. Mm. I would have feared my parents more than the police.
0: Mm. I mean, obviously there's definitely fear associated to what we're talking about, but in that time frame, as a teenager, you know, in high school, again, the brain cells are not all there yet, right? (laughs) Now I should really take back what I just said, because Mm. I wouldn't
1: have, Mm. people in my generation would have feared their parents more Mm. than they would have the police, because my parent, my father, never ever touched me, so I didn't fear him. But I knew that I still shouldn't get in any kind of trouble.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, because he may
1: touch me. Then, because he may touch me. Then, and I wanted to avoid that by all yeah. Yeah. means.
0: Well, for me, it was more so having that creative outlet was my drive. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I was getting in trouble for a passion that I loved. Okay. So it counterbalanced itself. It wasn't like I was robbing and stealing and selling drugs. I had paint and markers. And you're defacing people's property. Correct. But okay. in my eyes, it was art, and which is viewed as art across the world, right? That's true. Today's market.
1: Were you making tags or were you actually drawing something?
0: So I would draw pieces and books. So, you know, you, as a graffiti artist, you have black books. Okay. So in a black book, you would do your sketches and your pieces. And again, you would tag to kind of get up. That's like the marketing aspect of it, right? So, like in today's world, you go on Facebook, you go on LinkedIn, and you post every single day, you post content. You go on a train every single day, you tag, you, you post tag. content. Okay. Same similarities. And then you had people, you had rivals that would come sometimes and go over your tag. I, I mean, every now and then. Yeah, they call that buffing. So you have another artist that would come and buff your tag. But for me, it wasn't even about that. It was just more so about being able to have an artistic outlet at scale. Okay. So when you finished high school, mm-hmm. did you go into college? So, yeah. So uh, believe it or not, because of my art background, my parents decided to throw me in art school, which kind of made perfect sense, and it kind of added to who I am right now. So my first degree was graphic design, and I fell in love with it right away. I was like, wait a minute, so this is kind of like graffiti, but it's in digital. I have an opportunity to create art and not get arrested for it, and then also market that art for multiple people to see it. So it was kind of a win-win, but that's when I really realized that I I was missing something. I was half analytical and half creative, and I always thought I was 100% creative. But while I was there I realized that there's another side to me that never got fed and that's when I started feeding that opportunity. Okay, now what was that? Tell me about the analytical side. So the analytical side is kind of, and today, strategy. Understanding like the numbers, understanding what cause and effect, the psychology behind everything. So back then I was in art school with all these art people and it made perfect sense but I was a weirdo amongst weirdos. If that makes sense. So then I went for another degree and my second degree was web design and multimedia. A little bit more analytical, a little bit more thinking and processing, but then I was a weirdo <laughs> amongst weirdos in that environment. But then I brought both those halves together and then started evolving.
1: Okay, so in college you, do, you, you obviously came out with a degree in art. First degree was graphic design, second graphic degree design. was web design, multimedia. Exactly. Okay, right, and it was four years? Combined,
0: yeah. Wow, okay, what was your first job once you got out? That's, that's an interesting story. So most people are probably familiar with September 11th. So when I got my second degree, cause my first degree, I already knew I was gonna go back for the second degree because I, I was realizing that I was missing the analytical side. Mm-hmm. Um, went in, graduated, and literally right before graduation, a week before graduation, September 11th happened. Shut down the market. There were no job opportunities, especially for someone green, per se, coming out of college. Right, right. So the school that I went to actually had an opportunity for techs. So they hired me as a level one technician and that's how I got more tech savvy. And that's how when I learned about video and audio through working in the environment, we were installing Pro Tools, Avid, taking apart cameras, rebuilding decks, beta decks, so all these different things from a graphic design and from a web design standpoint, I didn't have access to, and now I had complete access to. So it was, for me, it was like onboarding a third degree through doing it in real life. Mm-hmm. Wow,
1: so then you see say, you say with that company the com- you didn't work with the company, did you? Uh, yeah, no? I
0: worked with the college. I, I did it for about maybe two years. You worked for the college? Yeah, so after okay. I graduated, the college hired me.
1: The guy, they hired you, okay, and yeah. they stayed, you stayed there for two years.
0: Two years. I got tired of babysitting people that were my age that were students, and I was an employee. Right. So th- that makes sense, they're like, no, you're you're
1: te- th- te- you teach them how to install, and then how to work the, no, the programs, and what were you teaching them?
0: We weren't teaching, so you, you te- think of te- it from the standpoint okay. of a tech, right? So yeah. we had about, 3,000 computers in that building. Gotcha. Yeah. So we did the maintenance, we did the install, so we took care of the admins, we took care of the student machines, we took care of collectively everything.
1: Yeah, you had to think completely differently. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, I've been on the backside before, but just for a brief period of time, nothing really extensive and never had any formal training. But I know that when I get involved in it, it's almost like, I guess, the way people get with their games, games they like. Mm. You get into it and you can't think about anything else because you want to stay on track because if you forget that you have to remember where you were to come back to start over again especially when you're working out solving some problem or something Mm -hmm. wrong with something or or connecting things together that's what I find and it takes a lot of your energy you're just absorbed in it there's nothing you want to do but that
0: I mean for me it's kind of it plays into who I am. Mm -hmm. Like not necessarily multitasking, but understanding that my brain works differently than other people. So for me, I had an opportunity to now learn something else that potentially down the road I'll be able to utilize. I didn't know what I was gonna utilize it for. Now today, I I can see it clear as day. Like with my podcast and my video. And So my gift is understanding technology in almost any field better than the average person. So I know how to kind of come in and create systems, create automations because I was potentially doing it when I was doing the IT job.
1: Right,
0: now how long did you stay there? After college, where'd you go from there?
1: After the college job, I mean. Yeah, yeah,
0: so after that, I had one of my friends who graduated with a graphic design degree, she had a BFA, and she worked for a branding agency. So that branding agency needed someone that had dual, like a a split brain. They needed an IT person with web development background. (laughs) Technically, I had two out of, I I had both of them, so. They hired me as a IT director, so I was setting up their servers, maintaining all their stuff. But at the same time, I was doing the web design and web development behind the scenes. While my friend was the, their lead graphic designer, so that's when I kind of took that and I was okay. Well, what's this branding thing? Like in school and graphic design, you understand logo development, but branding is a whole other monster. And that's when I really started to fall in love with like branding. And and, and while I was working at, I always had the desire. I wanted to brand but they needed me for IT, and they needed me for web, so I didn't have the opportunity to dive into branding, so I started searching for those opportunities.
1: Alright, and then what happened? So.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it, it's, it's the way I always tell my story is like, like that's the dawn of it, right? right? So then after that, I worked for uh, Apple. Like mm-hmm. literally, I worked for Apple while I was there part-time. Doing what? So I wanted to become an Apple genius, going okay. back to my IT background, right. right? So while I was at Apple, I was on the floor, and that's when I really learned about, okay, how do I sell? So it was more so not selling one computer, how many SKUs can I sell per transaction, and they would track all that stuff. So I got really good at stacking up stuff. I was like, well, you got a kid, you need a printer. You got a printer, you need this, you need this. So by the time they were done, they would have 10, 15 items at the cash register, which was okay, but I wanted to be an admin. I wanted to be more IT. So they found a happy medium for me. They put me right in the middle, which at the time was called an Apple admin, which you would help the geniuses, but you would also work on the floor but then that's when I started to learn CRMs and PeopleSoft. Now CRMs? So content management, so okay. not, 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 not sorry, um, client management systems. Okay. So essentially if you have a um, HubSpot as a CRM, so if you do business and you, your leads come in, you get those contact information, those contacts have to go somewhere. And with that contact you should be able to put data with it. P- people's birthdays, what did they buy, when's the last time you contacted them, do you need to follow up. So PeopleSoft was really large at the time, And it also had all these bells and whistles, and it was people that was making six figures just doing people's off. So I learned that system behind the scenes. I would go in the back back of the shop when I would come in, and I would check for, like, products that were broken, what's the task for the actual geniuses, and then the other half of the day I would work on the floor and make sales because they didn't want to lose my transactional sales that I had. So I was smack dab in the middle, again, going back to my left brain and my right brain being equally yoked. Wow. Huh. So how long did you do that? How long were you without Apple? Uh, I stayed there for about six months. Be- Only six months? But As the story progresses you'll see that I started sk- skipping from company to company very quickly to, to pick up all the different, I would say Legos. I look at opportunities as Legos and I right. stack them very quickly, learn what I need to learn and then move on. And that's how you felt about Apple. You learn what you need to learn and yeah. then you moved on. Because I know that they weren't going to let me become a genius because I was too good at sales on the floor and genius don't do sales. So they had me in the middle to where I wanted. They
1: wanted you to continue to produce for
0: them. Yeah, and I'm not big on you delegating my direction. So, hey, you are gonna use me, I'm gonna use you. So we kind of met halfway. They got sales from me. I learned what I needed to learn in that six months.
1: And they're good with that too. Apple's very good that way. They almost encourage it too.
0: That's really nice. So you went from Apple to where? So after Apple, um, I had an opportunity to work for a ad agency. And it was a large agency based out of Atlanta. Our main clients were um, Home Depot, FAA Swartz, and um, Victoria's Secret.
1: Now, did they did they search for you, or did you go to them? Uh, I was always on the hunt. Oh, so, so you were out there looking? Yeah, I was okay, always on the hunt. Gotcha, okay.
0: And it kind of goes back to like I always tell when I have these conversations with younger guys, you have to make those connections as early as you can. So whether it's middle school, high school, because the first job opportunity was somebody I went to school with, right? Okay. The second job opportunity agency was somebody else I went to school with. Both of them were graphic designers, right? Right. So, and then I had another friend that was also a graphic designer, so I had two people that worked for the same company that were both in my classes in college, so this kind of made it really easy for me to slide in. There's something I say all the time to people is Mm -hmm. this. Everything you receive in
1: this world is Mm -hmm. gonna come through somebody else. 100%. So make sure you keep your connections strong and don't mm. burn bridges. It's not yep. necessary, you can have, you can be disagreeable, I mean, you can disagree without being disagreeable. Mm. And that's only for one section. Let that go, but you can still get with them on something else. You never know. 100%. So keep it open. 100%. That's good, so you left from there, you left from Apple, then you went on to?
0: To so the agency, at the agency. agency right? And at that point in time, there was a fork in the road, because they had two positions and it was supposed to be two different interviews. One was for, like, production. Like, like the logistics behind the scenes, one side of my brain, and the other side was more creative, design, graphic design, the other side of my brain. So they only had that day that I went, it was only one person in one department to do that interview, and that was the logistics side, not necessarily the creative side. So I got that position, and I was like, I'll, I'll stick around for a bit. And I did it, and I learned a lot about the technical aspect of like design, development, um, production files, how to check files, fonts, and again, I have a degree in it, but now I was applying that yeah, original degree. Right. And I did that, I mean, I think that's when my son was born. He was born while I was there. Okay. So it was roughly about, uh, I think he was about maybe six months old when I was like, okay, time's up. Right. Now it's time to progress to the next next position. Had you gotten
1: married? Yeah. So you were married and then you had your son. Correct. Okay, all right. So then you said, now I'm responsible for somebody.
0: Um, I'm responsible for somebody, but, but I'm a risk taker, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to take the risk. You know what I'm like? I like to rephrase that. Just... Mm.
1: Because we've gotten to know each other a little bit, mm. I think the risk is staying somewhere, and mm. assuming someone's going to really help you get what you want, you're not a risk no. taker. Mm-hmm. That's why you continue to go around and do what you f- you need, what you feel you need mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the other people are really the risk takers, and want to sit still mm-hmm. as babies and keep on going like this. Mm thinking someone's gonna pick them no, up. No. But the, the person that isn't a risk taker gets up and starts walking, hits his head mm-hmm. on the floor, gets back up, rolls over, <laughs> 100%. falls over here, slips, and everything mm-hmm. else. That's the person that's really not taking any risk. Because mm-hmm. the life is gonna make you dance regardless of what.
0: 100%. So if you get up and don't wanna take any risk by staying still, get out mm-hmm. there and do something. Which is a solid point because I think right. to your point, most people they either get comfortable or they get the golden handcuffs and then they, they kind of that, get. That's stagnated.
1: a risk, but that's a risk. So go on. So you decided not to take risks and
0: you kept on doing what you were doing. When you had your son, you knew you had to keep on doing what you're doing, but even more. Correct. Because I mean, my, my entire desire was I wanted to have a design position. Okay. Remember, the first job was kind of eh, tech. The second job was kind of eh, production. I was like, I want to have the title of a designer. I want to, like going back to being a graffiti artist, I want to have creative control. So the next position, that's when I fell into it, right? So it was one of, the same friend that had got me the opportunity at the agency, said, hey, down the street from my house, there is a medical illustration firm, a medical agency that has a position open for a um, creative director. Say say less. So I, I took my resume and sent it, got the interview, and literally I got that position and then I had the title of a creative director and I was doing design, which was interesting, but it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. How so? Um, even if you have that title of director, you still have to answer to the CEO or the chief marketing officer or you know, there's a hierarchy to anything. So what you think is visually pleasing to that particular demographic, the owner or the CEO or whoever's up the food chain could still override and still delegate. So even though that you've done the research and you know that that is gonna work for that demographic, they're gonna pull the senior card and say, well, I've been in industry X amount of time and I know that this is what our clients like. Okay. And again, I don't like to be stepped on. How many times did that have to happen to you before you said, okay? <laughs> um, well, I devised a strategy. I mean, that kind of going back to, I'm getting older, I have a kid. So I was like, okay, what's the, the real strategy? I couldn't just hop to hop. So I had to kind of mastermind And that's when my analytical side kicked in. So being that I had Home Depot as a main client from the agency, I was like, okay, I need to find an opportunity. And then I had a friend that had moved to Virginia and she was working for um, a political political campaign company that she was doing all the graphic design for them and they needed a web designer remotely. So that was my first opportunity. I was like, okay, well, I could make the same amount of money I'm making at this job full time (laughs) remotely and double dip. So I had that opportunity, and then I was like, okay, well now I want to kind of go full-time. I at, w- went through a divorce, got primary full custody of my son at that point in time, and I was like, once that court paper was signed, I was like, I need to be able to pull the trigger when that happens and go 100% in the direction I wanted to, which was an entrepreneur.
1: Wait, now tell me like this. Now you, you were double-dipping. You had, you had the company that you work with here that you had mm-hmm. to actually be present at. Yeah. Then you had the one you were doing remotely, right? Correct. So you knowing that, how long were you able to do that together?
0: Like six months or something okay, okay. like so that. Okay, So give you
1: enough time to be yeah. able to set up your strategy to tell this company, look, well, you know, make <laughs> the situations the way you want to make them, so that you could move well, when you need to. dominoes,
0: right? You. So I mean, I want people to understand, like, dominoes don't fall into place. Okay. You have to align those dominoes.
1: so. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. How
0: did you align oh, those yeah, so you could yeah. do it? So the first thing I did was I, I worked for them for six months, right? And I knew what they were making on the websites because again, in politics, it's different. Like, you don't get paid per website; you get paid on the back end. So they may pay you like a thousand dollars front for the man hours, but then what you do is take an equity share on the revenue that they're gonna make f- for the life of their campaign. Now how can you do that? I mean, they'd have to agree to it for you to be able to do that, In politics, it makes perfect sense, and they do it all the time, because again, they don't wanna spend $100,000 up front. They don't know if they're gonna win the campaign, Right. but if they're, they're getting donations, then they have no problem then donating 10% or 1% or 3% of the total don- donations that they get. Okay. So then I was like, well wait, so this $1,500 website could really potentially be 15,000 or 60,000. It really based upon how well we make this website, how well they do in the campaign, and then whatever comes in, we get a percentage of that. Now how do you, know? because
1: you control the website so you can oh, see. Yeah. We control you can the see what exactly what's well. coming in.
0: right? Yeah, so we, Back then, it, I forgot the name of the website, but the thing about it is PayPal. Right. PayPal has all the transactions and all, right. everything in there. so you can see there. all that anyway. So there's no and way for it's them to It's through us. Say, I got you. Yeah, so That's it, what I'm saying. It's piping through us and then to them. That's what I'm talking so about. So we, we track all of it. Right. So once I realized that, I was like, okay, well now this is the opportunity for me to kind of figure out the strategy. So I leveraged my old career, Home Depot. So I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the company that I'm working with remotely and I'm gonna tell them that, hey, I got a full-time job. So either you're gonna hire me or hire my company, my corporation, which was my, my first opportunity to kind of jump out as an entrepreneur, or I'm gonna leave. And I knew that I was their bread and butter as far as the web, websites go. So then I went to Home Depot and I jumped around a couple other places to look for another job opportunity, landed at Home Depot, and then they gave me an offer letter. And I was like, that was the biggest damn mistake you could ever make. They give you a what? Offer letter, Home Depot did. So an offer letter. So offer letter to say, hey, we want to hire you. This is uh-huh. what we're gonna pay you. This is what we're gonna do. This is your benefits. So I had all that in writing. So yeah, okay, wait, wait.
1: But you weren't working with Home Depot yet.
0: I worked with them before. Remember before, right. But you worked yet. with
1: another company full-time. Correct. Okay, right. So Home Depot, you said that was a big
0: mistake. Why was it a mistake for them to give you an offer letter? Because now the strategy came into play. Everything that I had had in my mind lining up the dominoes started to come to fruition. So I took the offer letter and I went to the company in Virginia and said, hey, I got a job opportunity from Home Depot for about the same amount that you're paying me. I can't do all three. Make a choice. And then I was waiting for that company to bite that bullet. And the second that they bit that bullet, then I was going to go to the company I was working for and then convert them into a client as well. So that's what happened. The company in Virginia took about a week, they made a decision, they matched the offer from Home Depot, and then they made me a full-time, not necessarily employee, more of a contractor, so it was more 1099. For a year at a time? For a year at a time, but okay. I was remote, I so I didn't That's have to move no to Virginia. I hear. Yeah. I hear. And then what I did was I, I took that letter from them and went to the company that I was working for. And said, this is what I'm getting, this is what you're going to have to do. Well, I didn't even say that. I said, okay, look, I just got primary full custody of my son. This company is going to give me everything that I need remotely but I know you guys still may need me for some design. Why don't you then convert me into a 1099 or p- player in the game? Make me more of a contractor. So that way now my business had two revenue streams that was more than equal to what I was making as a full-time employee. And also you, you told them that I don't want to come into the office, you, well, you uh, going to do it, them? It's, lo- it's lo- better lo- than that.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: It's better than that, so what, but I, again, strategy, right? So now, I went to them and I was like, look, my office, all my computers, all my, all my stuff that I have right there, they're all spec to me. Nobody else, I mean, you could re-engineer it, but why not just take my last check and give me everything? And that's what they did. So they took my last check and they gave me my computer and my monitor. So that was essentially my startup capital to get all the hardware I needed to then convert my home into a home office and then do the work remotely for both companies. So that was my real start into entrepreneurism, having what'd you those do with, two. What
1: would you do with Home Depot?
0: Sorry, said, I can't you. have you it. Said, you <laughs> said, "Thank
1: you, thank you for letting, yeah, letting literally, yeah, you know, right? literally,
0: literally, yeah." I mean, I followed Little up good. with them and, and told them that I don't accept it because again, I had about the time ten days. So it, all that happened in five days, the dominoes fell into place, and then I had two opportunities. That again, think about it. If I'm doing it like a contractor, they're not taking out taxes either, right? So, the reality I'm getting all my money up front. Did you establish yourself an LLC or something already? Or what yeah, you do? Yeah, okay. I had an LLC from, since I was in college. Okay. I started my first LLC back right. then, and I still right. own it to this day. Right. But it was just an opportunity for me to figure out how do I fund and then keep that revenue at a particular level. And again, so I, I pretty much doubled my revenue almost 200% right. on day five.
1: That's fantastic. Mm. That is a good story. Have you told the story before? You tell it all the time, I'm sure. Pieces of it. That's good. Piece now you got the now you got the whole story. So <laughs> there you go. that's what I'm talking. Well, <laughs> that's that's still it's still pieces <laughs> it's of it, right? Still pieces of it. Still yeah. a piece of it. but that's a big piece. I like that. Yeah. The way you put that together. I like what you had to say about mm-hmm. dominoes. They don't just fall on their own. You have to align them first. Correct. That's really good. All right. So then, from there, you start your company. Now,
0: now, how do you feel? Um, it was good, but I, I still was missing something. If that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> So for me, it was like, okay, now that I understand a little bit more business, I understand marketing, I understand design, I understand all these different things, I was like, the one thing that I'm missing is, hmm, finance. So then after some time, by working and doing what I was doing, I decided to get into finance. So I went and got my insurance license, uh, eventually got my Series 6. I was building out teams, building out insurance teams up and down the East Coast, and I was trying to figure out, okay, well, I have all this going on. How do I make these two worlds work together? So I was thinking more enterprise level. So like, okay, I could build an enterprise and do all these different facets and all these different pieces and stack all these different elements. And then I was like, well, I'm doing all this traveling. I need to become a travel agent. So I became a travel agent at the same time. So I was a travel agent, had my insurance license, had my series six, had an agency that was doing all the work and doing all the design, doing all the web development all at the same time and being a full-time dad. Everything that I was doing was more so a strategy to influence my son by showing him what opportunities look like if you capture him? And I know he was young, mm-hmm. but still everything was being documented. Right. You know, like all the pictures, all the videos, and him going to meetings, going to conferences. And you kept
1: him with you the whole time. Correct, 100%. Everywhere.
0: So we had when, that. When yeah. did you become aware?
1: Uh, Coy, Cory, when did you become aware of what, was hap- what your dad was doing with you? How old were you? Like
0: business wise? Yeah, when you things? start thinking, my dad's well, doing this for a reason. Once he left, I don't know where yeah. How how he's talking then? about the medical
1: agency. How old were you then? How old were you then? Elementary,
0: maybe not even yeah. elementary, preschool.
1: He was like, so like we kindergarten. Went to the in
0: our neighborhood. Yep.
1: Yeah. Right. Quite. <laughs> I've dealt with thousands of families, I would yeah. say, and I've dealt with twice that many in children. And I can tell when someone's done a good job parenting their kids, and that's one job that we're never really taught to do. Um, When I met Coy, I could tell right away that his father put a lot of time in raising him. Um, I assumed his mother did, too. I can tell the relationship he has with his mother, even though it's his stepmother. They have done such a great job with their kids. That is so important because more than anything else mm. in this world the most important thing you'll ever do is r- try to raise another human being and they have done a great job with Koi and I think I'm going to have to turn the camera around so you can see him eventually because i want to see him and you picked a woman that's in your corner 100% I can tell that too correct so you've done a good man you you're rocking and rolling I you to do is keep on doing what you're doing yeah, yeah. I mean it, so it takes takes time right unfortunately and we but all have the same yeah. amount of it and you never know how much of it you're going to have but I'm just saying I've seen you from the time I've met you, which has just been a day, mm. enjoyed a day. The way you work and the way you talk with your family, the way mm. they respond, you're doing a good job. Wow, oh yeah, I definitely appreciate it. you a fantastic it. job, Matt. Anyway, so you started taking your son around. That was in the picture. Correct, with you.
0: correct. And so, you know, I was at the same time, he had basketball, he had football. I was a um, boy scout, den leader, all these different he things. You came to all those games and made sure you watched them. Well, of I was the one taking him to all those games, right? right. And then at the same time, I was like, okay, look, how could I push the envelope? What would it look like to have a black PTA president? <laughs> so that happened as well. So I was PTA president for, for two years in his elementary days which was definitely interesting. I always say it's kind of like, to be frank, I looked like a, a pimp w- amongst all the mobs, because <laughs> I was the only guy and a black guy at that. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely um, interesting to see Was see it an inter- interracial school? Uh, it, was, was it, it was interracial, but it was 75% Caucasian. Oh, really? Mm. Okay. It's just the, the area that we lived in. So you
1: really in. did look like a pimp? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Did you wear your Literally, and come in there, shaking your shoulders, and kicking it.
0: Well, the thing is, that was before, like that's before I came out my shell per se. Because again, I was a guy behind the curtain. I was the guy orchestrating the noise and being the puppeteer. So I wasn't really the guy should be standing on the stage or having speaking opportunities. I wasn't that person yet.
1: Okay.
0: All right. So then on oh. up. So then after that, I was just like, okay, well now I have all these different things going around, and then obviously I've dated people in that time frame trying to figure it out and it was always something that just didn't dial in, something that just didn't work. And it was either like we're not on the same page or we don't have the same goals or the kids weren't in alignment. There was so many different things that just didn't work and I was like why am I trying so hard to find someone when I can use a system to find someone? And that's when we kind of, I found well she found me through an internet dating site.
1: Mm. I, I said the first
0: Molly face. <laughs> yeah. Did you really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How,
1: long, how long did it take after you um, met each other? So, well, I mean, how, did, how does that work anyway? Because I'm of mm. a whole different generation, but actually this is my generation too. Mm-hmm. If you've lived through it, it's been part of mine. Yeah. How does that work? Because my son, my youngest son, just, I believe, f- she showed, the first girl he's mm-hmm. ever shown me to is someone he found over the internet. Mm-hmm. And they look good together. I'm not trying to push you into being with her, Luciana. I'm just saying that. You guys look good together.
0: All right. So how, how did that process work? It's just like, they set it up where it was just pictures. Okay. And the picture that, that out of all the pictures, because again, I'm diverse. I do a bunch of random stuff. So the picture that caught her attention was me up in a tree, surrounded by like eight kids at the bottom of the tree. So when we made that connection, she was like, okay, the picture is what attracted me to you. What were you doing in the picture? But I was like, I was playing tag with the kids and they were, They didn't have the balls to climb up the tree. So again, they couldn't catch me, so I would win by default. That's, that's what sold her on it.
1: All right, and then what?
0: Uh, oh, hey, this yeah. is- yeah. That tree, you liked, yeah. you guys got together and then you had to meet
1: somehow. Oh yeah,
0: we definitely, we met. I mean, yeah. the first time we met was at a, a Mexican restaurant. Okay, And you know, she she thought I was a, a music producer at the time because I had my glasses and I had my branding, right? right? So my glasses had my brand on the side and she was just like, she wasn't really, Per se interested at that moment, per se. She was, but she wasn't. Did that make sense? What about you? I mean, I, I definitely was, but again, you know, as far as the dating goes, you, you just kind of dating to kind of figure out. In the first mm-hmm. date, you're not gonna really know who that person is 100%. Mm-hmm. So then after a while, we started dating and dating. Um, and I think that th- this kind of leads into the climax of what happened and why we are where we are right now. Okay. Because again, full time dad, trying to date, running the business opportunities left and right, doing all these different things. My candlestick burnt on both ends. Mentally, I was strong enough, but my body couldn't handle it. Okay. So I had a stroke.
1: Before you were married? Correct. All right, and how did that go? Because you told me already, but let's tell the <laughs> Um,
0: It was interesting, <laughs> to say the least. It was another opportunity that I decided to create for Koi. And it was reconditioning old, I think it was like lamps and antiques and we had an opportunity to go into a consignment store. And the brand was called My Decoy, kind of playing off of Koi. And we, that night I had built out a wall, like a, a facade wall with like um, floors, and we cut them up, and it took maybe about eight hours to build this thing. Installed it. Koi was like, he wanted to go with his grandparents that night. And then I was like, all right, Alex, I'm going to come over to your house. And it was Sunday night. Got to her house, sitting in the car, got out just like this normal, like we're talking right now. Just had texted her or got off the phone with her and walked into her building at the time because she lived in an apartment at the time.
1: Into your building? Yeah. Yes. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. But wait, wait, wait.
1: You, you, would you just call your wife,
0: Alex? It's yeah. my
1: middle name, so everyone calls me. Right. Alex. Mm-hmm. but it's Kirsten, really, right? name. Well, Kirsten's, my Kirsten's first your first name, name. But, but Alex is what you go by. Knows me Alex okay, so you so
0: you get ready to go over Alex's house. Yeah. To Walk into the building, and I started getting extremely hot, like profusely hot, like sweating ferociously and I was like well this gym is right here I can go in the bathroom and freshen up before I go upstairs I get in there and it was like I was like to the point to where I felt like I was in hell like if if, if there was a like a a a invisible hell of heat that's what I felt like and I was like okay I'm, I'm too hot I need to cool down not thinking about how crazy it was at that moment but I decided to hop in the shower in the gym with my clothes on to kind of cool off and I still was hot, it didn't cool me down whatsoever. And I was like, okay, let me just get upstairs and then figure it out when I get there. Again, there's nobody in the gym, there's nobody in the bathroom, and there's nobody for me to speak to, not realizing that I had lost my speech already. That's how deep the stroke was already set in. Okay. Started walking from here to maybe, you know, 30 feet, 40 feet, got to the door, and the next thing you know, I, I was looking at the ceiling. And I was like, that's interesting, how did that happen? So I didn't even know how it happened? Well, my right side of my body, right. via the stroke, my right leg was giving out, my right hand was giving out, and right side of the face started drooping. And I, uh, There was no mirrors at that point in time, but my, I fell on the floor, and I was like, okay, this is interesting. Again, I'm still processing, like, okay, this is interesting, but whatever it is, I'm gonna push through it. But there's no real pain. There's no real pain. Just heat. You're it just was just hot. completely hot, and then the functionality of my body started to not work. Okay. Hit the floor, got back up, and then I was like, okay, well, I need to get upstairs. So I crawled up the wall and moved from the wall to the elevator, which was like another 30, 40 feet. Using your left side only. The- Correct. And so I got in the elevator, hit the button, and she was on the fourth floor to fifth floor. And this is the funny part because her hallway in, in Atlanta, the way they build the apartments nowadays, it was like 300 yards. <laughs> it was like three football fields long. And I was just like, how the hell am I gonna get down this hallway? So I started to bump my way all the way down the hallway, got to her door, and I reached, I'm right-handed. So I reached in my pocket to get my, my key. My right hand is shot, not realizing that it's like like an octopus limb. And so I got the key, and I'm like this. And my keys are banging on the door. I could not get it in the hole, and I'm like zoomed in, targeting the keyhole, and I could not get it no, in the keyhole. You, you didn't panic at all
1: during any of this time? You never felt like, hey, what's happening?
0: Nothing. I mean, I knew something was happening, but at the same time, it was, it was an opportunity for me to either sit there and sleep it off kind of thing, or get somewhere where I can actually get some help. Which you figured you really needed. At that point, I was like, "Something's not right." Let me at so least me get in there, get in, like take off right. my clothes and get shower. But in the you weren't
1: panicky at all.
0: No, anything? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think I have. I have more panic button with them.
1: I understand. L- but but for myself, yourself,
0: cool. again, remember, I was on the, the train tracks. I got arrested by a cop, so like that fear I mean, factor. That, that
1: alone, you being yeah. pulled up like that, and you didn't wet your pants or anything, no. and just you cool and just kind of smiling. at them. I mean, they're gonna wiggle your, <laughs> your yeah your hand comes mm. That takes
0: a different type of thinking. For sure. So again, the mentality okay. of it, okay, worst case scenario, I don't know what it is, but we'll figure it out. So she opens the door, she's like, what's going on? And that's the first time I had the opportunity to speak. And when I said something, nothing came out. <laughs> it was like mumbled. What were you thinking, Alex?
1: Well, my previous career was a nurse, so hmm. I immediately was like, he looks like he's having the signs of a
0: stroke. Maybe
1: I should hmm. mic you for this. Uh, no. <laughs> but go on, go on, go on. Uh, so, um,
0: but, Mm You just fell into the door and Mm -hmm. ran into the shower. Correct. Or fumbled as fast as I can to the shower. Fighting me, yes, to call
1: 911 because I'm Mm seeing signs of stroke. You know, drooping face, inability to speak, you know, inability to use his hands. How long had you known him? Four months. Correct. (laughs) Four (laughs) Four months months in. I hear this this wobbly guy's coming in now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Four months of knowing you. Well, he had been on blood pressure medicine the wall that day so I just figured you know an initial thought was this looks like a stroke but maybe this could be related to blood pressure maybe took too much medicine maybe you know so I always analyze the full picture before like Mm -hmm. hit the button so you can start with when you were in the shower.
0: Yeah so literally I got into the shower and I didn't even get all the way in the shower I was like half in the shower half out the shower and she was in the bathroom and that was the first time like I realized that yes it probably was a stroke but then I, I knew that it was a glimpse of control in it to a certain extent, because I, ha- I mustered up just enough strength to utter the words, no. I said, cause she was like calling the, the ambulance and I was like, mm, no. Why? And, why, why, why? Cause again, like my, my mentality is, is, is to always to, to conquer whatever that task is. I so I was just gonna push through whatever the hell it you was. It I was gonna make it happen. And it was, it was, it was funny, cause even, even when, the, when the ambulance got there, I'm standing up, and I'm walking around, and I'm like, and I'm talking to them, but again, no words are coming out. And both of the medics are looking at me like, "Yeah,
1: <laughs> this fish just won't stop. Nope, just keeps uh, on nope. flopping around. Will he stop
0: though? Nope. I refuse to. So then I, I ended up in the ambulance, and I think that's the first time they probably gave me something. I think they gave me like, a sedative or something because, sat, just, yeah. when I sat when I sat back, the next thing I remember was the white lights, and I was just like, "This is what they talk about when you die." You thought that that was it. Nah, not, I, I knew, for me, mentally, it's not my time. Yeah, not my time. I'm not, not my time. Be, I'm like, a I, ghost I, or something. I, I got a little bit of time left. And I was like, I, I haven't achieved what I wanted to achieve, so I, I kind of going into the stroke is a mental thing, right? So for me, it was like, when I woke up, the white lights was the actual ring light, and they would put me under the anesthesia or whatever, and I was like, for, for the split second, I was like, that's the damn white light that they always talk about. Holy, there is an afterlife. Like, that moment, I was like, and then I was like, I heard beep beep. I was like, oh, I'm in the hospital. And and they put me back under. I woke up the next day, which was Monday, and I'm looking around. Like I woke up in the bed, and I'm just like, okay, I'm I'm in the hospital. I'm alive. I got the IV in. Something's in my leg. I'm not sure what that is. And then I looked to the left, and I seen Koi, my mom, my dad, and Alex. And I was just like, okay, what happened? And that's when they told me I had a stroke. And I didn't realize the extent of it until they said they had to put a stent in my brain and they had to go through my main artery in my leg. And I was like, you went through my artery in my leg to put a stent in my brain? And then they brought me something to eat and I couldn't barely hold a spoon or the fork, I couldn't do anything with it. My right leg was still a little bit weak and I was like, oh, well, okay, how long do I have if I can get out of here? And they looked at me like I was absolutely batshit crazy, right, they gave me that look like, And I was like, well, okay, how long does it usually take? And that's when I was like, I made a decision, I was like, okay, Today's Monday, by Friday, I'm gonna be out of here, period. And they was like, yeah, okay. And then like right after that, I was like, hey, time for me to get up and start walking. And they was like, well, you could try to. And so I got up and she was holding my left side and I was walking around the hallways and then every day I would just keep walking and walking and walking and walking until Friday came and I was like, goodbye. And I left Friday. Let's add a moment to that. Mm. They put an alarm on his bed because
1: he was supposed to stay in bed. to helped with that. And <laughs> <laughs>
0: the alarm kept going because he wouldn't want
1: to <laughs> Nope. Nope, I can't. What's make people that's interesting. <coughs> that's interesting to me that you're like that. I see glimpses of um myself in a lot of the way that you've act. I've I've only had one operation that was on my knee. And the first thing I did was to see if I could still do an L seat. Mm. As soon as I got up, boom. And I remember mm. people coming to me when I was under, they
0: had me Um, a little bit and I kept on trying to get up. It's just, it's it's interesting. Well that's when I really kind of dialed into what strokes really are and I was like now I'm starting to see why some people survive strokes and some people do not. Because the people that do not, the mental side of it, if you don't conquer that, you go into depression. And I I didn't understand what depression was until post-stroke. Like I've dated, dated people who had depression, I've been around people with depression And it was always kind of like, I'm sorry to hear that, but you're saying it kind of uh, facetiously because you don't really know what it is. Exactly, exactly. And then I started to realize that my speech slowed down because I'm a native New Yorker, so I I speak with a particular speed. And I sounded like I was from Louisiana for like six months. (laughs) Don't do
1: that to people from Louisiana because
0: we don't all speak this (laughs) stuff. It took me six months with this slow drawer. I couldn't, and again, I'm so used to processing on the fly and I was going. I decided to go back to my networking groups and realizing that, damn, I can't process as fast as I used to. My processing speed, like my computer, it had a glitch in the matrix. So I had to kind of like figure out what was going on. They would say, well, my brain's still swollen. I still have swelling in the brain. It's gonna take six months to a year, eight, almost like three years for it to, to reduce the swelling and for my brain to heal. And I was like, damn, this is gonna take a little bit longer than I thought. I thought I just had to walk out of the hospital in five days. That's when the real fight started. It was like fighting the depression, being able to speak the way I'm speaking right now, and then also figuring out systematically what I was going to do for business.
1: What did you do whenever you felt those signs of depression, what did you do to come out of it?
0: Um, In in the beginning, I wasn't sure what it was. It was just kind of like going into a dark place is the best way to explain it. It's like you go into this dark place and the light's out, the sun's out, but you're in this dark place to where the imposter syndrome becomes way heavier than normal. Um, the negative thoughts become way heavier than normal. And as an entrepreneur, we go through that every day, all day, but imagine it being amplified. Imagine it being like, I, I, you ruined your life, I did all this, I almost died, what do I have to, all these different, and again, like as an entrepreneur, you have to process that differently. Those are all the opportunities for you to become who you're going to be, versus realizing that you failed. Failure is part of winning and becoming successful. But in those moments, that logical side of entrepreneur goes out the window. Did you have people helping you? I mean, I went to the doctor, um, I had Alex, and I think this, 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 is, this is the climax moment of, of the story with her and I. This is when she sat down with me, and she was like, okay, this is the opportunity for you to take the time to heal. You still got your business, you still got your clients, you know, the like money is still coming in there, but take an opportunity, and she was like, why don't you go back to branding, much like what I've done with the first company I talked about, much like what I've done with the graffiti, and why don't you rebrand yourself? And I was like, damn. Well, first of all, we got to get married. (laughs) Second of all, now I had a goal. Because she's in your corner talking to you and saying, hey, it didn't take a whole lot to see that. It didn't take a whole lot. And once that goal was established, I was like, okay, well, that means I have to start over everything. Completely, Because again, if I'm gonna brand me versus branding a corporation, it's two different monsters. If I have to brand whatever this new service is, it's a completely different monster. And that was like my downfall from before was I wasn't initially doing so much marketing. It was given to me. I, I worked for this company and I pulled them in. I worked for this company and I pulled them in. And then this company recommend. so it was stacking these different companies versus going cold turkey as an individual to build into a brand of a corporation. Different monster. So I was like, okay, well, either there's two things I could think about. I could become a YouTuber or I can become a podcaster. And even before that, I was dibbling more so into dr- drop shipping. I was like, well, oh, this is kind of passive. I don't have to talk to people. If I ever still have this slow draw, I can still be the guy behind the curtain and make money. I did this whole course and dove into um, dropshipping and I learned like everything about dropshipping. Started a dropshipping shore, started doing uh, marketing and, and making that work, but there was still missing something. There was no luster to it. And then I was like, we went to a, um, a marketing meeting for a guy that I had met um, when I went to uh, Kindle Cashflow, which was essentially all about creating books. And I had authored one book at that time. That's like during my stroke, like right before I had authored my first book, going into my second book. And so I was like, okay, how do I bring all these hemispheres together? And that's when it dawned on me, I went to a conference and it was a podcasting conference. And I was like, dude, this is, this is everything that I've known and learned on steroids. And I can use this opportunity to become a media mogul over a period of time. And that that was 2020 when I started.
1: You're on your way, man. Yeah. You are on your way. This is your first international podcast done on the other side of the planet. Facts, yes. Come on, facts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Here on the other side of the planet. Here in Japan, Tokyo Japan.
0: Let's
1: say I wanna tell you, it's been fantastic talking with you. Before I end the podcast, there's always a question I like to ask. Mm -hmm. If you go back in time
0: Mm. (laughs)
1: and speak to the younger Essay, Mm. how old would he be and what advice would you give him?
0: It'll be an Essay that's adolescent. It'll be an Essay that's in New York. And it will probably be more so thinking about things that I was capable of thinking about, but not realizing that I shouldn't be thinking about. And that's essentially who I am right now, building those blocks a lot earlier. Like having all these different opportunities, being in New York, the land of you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And thinking about everything that has happened from then until now, all these opportunities that have just passed me by because I wasn't paying attention to them. And I'm not saying to to give myself the golden ticket to say, go buy this lottery ticket. But I would say, hey, when you're in school at this point in time, pay some attention to this. Then when you're here at this point in time, pay some more attention to this. And again, I'm still building these Legos, but those Legos would have been more multiplied versus one at a time.
1: Fantastic! I can't think of any better advice you'd give yourself. Thank you so much. Pleasure was mine. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe, and never forget it's all unknown. So continue to reach
0: for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed.